Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey, everyone. It's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. If you're listening to this episode, then you're likely a student athlete or family member of one. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Hopefully you find our podcast valuable. Mental performance coaching allows young athletes to show up at their best every single day by conquering distractions, pressures, and mental roadblocks through evidence-based strategies. So let's talk. You can visit my website at michaelvsinvincenthuber.com to schedule a free strategy session. Let's see if mental performance coaching is a fit for your family. Enjoy this episode, and thank you again for listening. How does Josie Nicholson help Ole Miss student-athletes be better than just okay? Athletes who engage sports psychologists do so for many reasons. Sometimes they are seeking to improve their performance. Sometimes they are just looking to talk about everything but their sport. Regardless, the biggest misconception is that athletes seek help from a sports psychologist because they need to fix something. My guest on this episode, Josie Nicholson, is a former collegiate soccer player, host of the United Podcast, and assistant athletic director for sports psychology at the University of Mississippi. In episode 30, Josie discusses how her own athletic experiences led her into this unique and rewarding field. She debunks the myth that working with a sports psychology professional is only for those who are struggling and that it's important for athletes to get help to be better than just okay. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Josie Nicholson. Hey, Josie, how are you? Hey, Mike, what's going on? It's good to see you. It's good to see you again, too. It hasn't been that long. Was it about a month and a half or so? I know, but it feels, uh, yeah, time means nothing now. We have no idea (laughs) about the passage of time and perception. It's all out the window. Absolutely. Well, thank you for coming on. I'm really glad to have you on the show. Uh, so I guess first and foremost, can you tell everybody what it's like, uh, what a day in the life of someone who works in Ole Miss athletics is like? <laughs> um, I don't know that I can as there's no typical day, but mm-hmm. I will tell you what my days are made up of. Um, I do a lot of individual uh, meetings, whether it's therapy or meetings for performance enhancement uh, with different athletes from all different sports, all different um, stages of the game in terms of where they are academically. Um, And for some, they want to come in and uh, just talk about whatever comes up. For others, they want to talk about anything but their sport. Like give me 45 minutes where I don't talk about my sport at all and I'm not that person that plays that game. Um, and then others don't want to talk about anything personal just because not much is going on, but they just want to talk about how to improve their performance. So that's where we go. And then um, other times I am meeting with teams or, uh, you know, helping them, um, whether it's uh, conflict resolution, like how to communicate better or um, have more confidence, different strategies from the mental side of the game. I don't obviously do any of the X's and O's. Um, But then also I'll consult a good bit with coaches just on, 
you know, different ways to whether motivate or what do you think is going on with this player or, um, you know, that sort of thing. And injury consultation is another big part of it. So I spend a lot of time like bouncing around the training room and getting to know some of the players and uh, seeing how everybody's doing from a um, injury recovery standpoint. Um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much my main gig. There's a lot going, there's a lot in there. It is a um, lot of that I have, you know, other things where I uh, I kind of run the um the sports psych department. So we have two other clinicians and uh, just kind of making sure everybody's doing well and and getting their needs met. Awesome. So I'm curious for the students, student athletes that you see individually, is that something that's completely up to them to choose or is it something that's suggested strongly mandated like what's that look like how do you who who chooses and how do they choose whether or not they come to see you yes it's super interesting I would say most of my people are chose to come Um, we have an alcohol and drug program and that is not always um, the choice (laughs) of of the athlete Um, there are people that have been strongly encouraged by their coach to come for whatever reason. Um, And a lot of times it's just that the coaches really know how it's going to benefit their athletes because I've seen it in others and the athlete may not have ever had that experience. So, you know, kind of encouraging them to come. I'd say most of the time the athletic trainers are the ones that are kind of like, have you thought about going into sports psych and talking to one of them? Um, It can be really helpful. And, so, you know, I'd say most of the time the athletes are choosing to come in, you know, because they, their athletic trainer or their coach has said it would be a good idea or they've, um, they have a friend or roommate teammate that says it was really helpful to them. Yeah. So you're getting referrals from different people within the organization, the athletic department, whether it's other student athletes, whether it's trainers, coaches, et cetera, right? They're sending them yeah. your way. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of times, too, we'll go, um, I try to make a point of making sure that at the beginning of the year, we have a little bit, as an office, a little bit of FaceTime with uh, all the different teams, all the different athletes, just to remind them or introduce ourselves if if, uh, somebody's new on campus, like, here we are, here's the resource, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're here for you. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I go through that in my own practice of some people, you see them for a bit and then you don't hear from them and you have to kind of reach out to like reintroduce yourself almost to say, Hey, how's everything going? Do you need some help? (laughs) No, because if you're out of sight, you're out of mind sometimes. Well, and the thing that like, okay, so freshman or transfer student comes onto campus and they are just bombarded with here's where this is, here's where this person is, here's who this person is. And, you know, 150 names at least in a day. Mm -hmm. And they do that for three straight days, just trying to get their bearings. Mm -hmm. How much of that are we expecting them to retain? It's like, Mm -hmm. let's go through, uh, um, you know, (laughs) it's almost like when you are at a wedding and there's the reception line and they just, you know, shake your hand, congratulations, shake your hand, congratulations. (laughs) It's like, that's kind of how it feels sometimes where it's like, you're not going to remember my name. I wouldn't expect you to. And you don't think, Ooh, there's a psychologist. I'm going to tuck that back in my brain in case I ever, you know, struggle. Mm -hmm. But then in the middle of something, it could be like, seems like somebody said there was some mental health support. (laughs) 
I can't remember what that is. Yeah. Yeah. How, so how many, like, so incoming, let's say incoming freshmen, like if you had to ballpark it, like how many of those student athletes who are new to campus, how many do you think have had some exposure to sports psychology or mental performance training before they get to Ole Miss? It's definitely on the rise. I mean, for sure. So um, of our international students that come from abroad, I would probably say at least 50, 60 percent. Wow. Because they have they're competing at such elite levels and, you know, a lot of tennis, a lot of golf. um, And that's just part of the thing uh, overseas. And and you want to be the best. You're going to use every uh, resource available to you. So it's a big thing. Um, uh, here, I don't know. That's a tough. That's tough to say. Um, I'd say twenty percent, maybe. It's not a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I would have. I mean, I would have guessed a much lower number here in the states. But it's interesting that that overseas it's different. Is that because there's a national academy system in most countries? So partially, partially because of that, and um, and partially because to. To get to America from overseas, um, you got to be at such an elite level, mm-hmm. and and mainly in those individual sports, right? Um, so uh, it's just kind of more of a of an accepted thing. I mean, if you look at if you listen to guys on and um, and women on the PGA um, and the LPGA, and you listen to you know upper level. Um, Tennis players, they're, they're all talking about their performance psychologists. They talk about their mental mm-hmm. you know, game a lot. And um, so I think maybe even in those sports, it's more common. Yeah. So for those more traditional team sports in the U.S., do you find it's more challenging to get young people on board for mental performance training or, or clinical services? No, I think people are excited. I mean, especially now there's such a um, an acceptance that mental health is, a you know, a vital piece to take care of to get the best out of your performance. So um, I, I don't think it's really a, a necessarily a sell. One of the things I hear often is like, well, I'm not really struggling. I don't really have a hard time. I didn't want to take a spot for somebody who really needs it. I'm like, that's not what we're about. That's not what we're doing here. It's all good. Um and we all like can benefit, you know, need is a strong word. And in terms of need, uh, I mean, I'm kind of falling down a rabbit hole here, but when we talk about need, there's, there's not a ton of my students that absolutely need this. Like they're going to be fine. They'll be okay. They'll have their, you know, collegiate experience and they'll move on. What I want is better than okay. I think in life, we all work too hard to be good with fine. And so when somebody, you know, passes you and says, how's it going? And you say, oh, fine. If you couldn't change that to, I'm doing great, then go do something, get some support, go Mm -hmm. talk to somebody and load some of that burden so you can walk just a little bit quicker and, and lighter. And, um, you know, so that, that's kind of, it's not really a hard sell. Mm-hmm. especially because the performance piece when I'm like, well, you want to just increase your free throw percentage. Let's chat about it uh, is appealing and not very threatening. When I come in, I'm like, 
let's talk about your relationship with your mother. Now I'm not going to get anybody. (laughs) (laughs) But they often, I mean, a lot of people do end up not to blame it on moms, but just, you know, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. And I, and I think that speaks to the motivation of a high level division one athlete, right? Everybody want, they wouldn't have got to where they're at if they weren't completely dedicated to what they're doing. I think for me, like when I work with high school athletes, sometimes you get the lack of motivation because it, it's interfering with other priorities and they think it's sort of an extra thing to do. So it's like, well, I'm not going to put in extra time here because what's it going to do, right? Versus like getting a 21-year-old who wants to get drafted and he's going like, I need every little edge I can get. So a lot of it for me is motivation. If you get, if I get an athlete that's motivated to work with me, like that's gold because because then you can get the most out of it because they're really going to invest in the process versus trying to pull teeth and say, hey, you know, no, come in. So I'm like, hey, this is going to work. Don't trust me. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder, like, it's so... um, complicated and stressful to make assumptions about people, what's going on on the inside, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. motivation or passion or whatever. Sure. And and so for me, it's easier for me to think about it as it's not the people who are motivated versus not, it's the people who have made the connections or not. The people that have connected that dot between their mental game and what it takes and their performance. And mm-hmm. I, I think we just don't grow up with that as a foundation, we grow up with the, Hey, if you work hard, if you're out there doing extra reps, if you're out there, you know, um, getting extra coaches, coaching and, and putting your all in at practice, you can achieve anything that you, you know, want to achieve, which is not true, first of all. Mm-hmm. And they don't say, you know, we praise so much the kids that are out there, um, doing extra reps. They're in the gym, throwing up the, the shots all the time, but not the ones that are taking care of themselves or that are, you know, maybe doing some mindfulness training and meditation, like, you know, because it can be like, man, I saw you in the gym throwing up those free throws and way to get the practice in. We don't say like, uh, I saw you meditating in the corner. That was cool. Way to get the mindfulness in. Like, you know? no, absolutely yeah. not. And when I start working with somebody, I'll say to them, like, you know, how much time do you spend in a week, you know, practicing your sport? And they'll be like, 30 hours. And I'm like, how much time do you spend working on your mental game? Zero. Zero. Don't you think it's a little out of whack? (laughs) But when you put it into those terms, they start to see like, hey, if I just spend a couple of hours a week working on basic stuff, there's a big return on investment because most of the people I'm competing against are not doing what I'm doing. And so it gives me an edge over competition. But, you know, we have, um, we set it up where it's not really um, conducive for teenagers, right? So Mm -hmm. um, teenagers, and and we all have that um, imaginary audience, you know, like the the people watching us. And and for teens, that is like super, super um, exacerbated. Mm -hmm. And um, so, teens, it, it gets better. I promise you it gets better. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to get better. But um, so it, the focus is on what is, what are the coaches seeing me do? What are the, my parents seeing me do? What am I being known for? And it's that work ethic. Well, they need to be seeing my work ethic. And mm-hmm. so it's hard to dedicate time to something that nobody's going to see. 
And that becomes yeah. really difficult because, you know, you want your coach to be so impressed. And in some sports, you need your coach to be impressed because they're the ones putting your name out there. And coaches want to praise the people that are like, oh, you're out here working, not you're in there working and I don't see it. Yep. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's the, the right, the tangible sort of, you know, what feedback am I getting? Right. If I'm not getting any feedback from something that I'm doing, it almost feels like it's a waste of time. For sure. Right. So I, I get that. And I think we all go through that regardless of whether or not we're an athlete or not. Like it's just anything we do in our lives. You put in a lot of work and if it's not recognized at some level, it's going to be hard to stay motivated. Yeah. Um, that kind of begs the question for me, you know, you're kind of talking about parents and coaches and things like, so when you see freshmen coming in who are now on their own for the first time, like, are there common themes or issues that you see from those freshman athletes that maybe you don't see from someone who's been around for a couple of years? Oh my gosh. How much time do we have? I'm glad this is the whole <laughs> As much as you need. <laughs> well, I can tell you there, that, that transition is so tough. Right. And, mm. So most of the time, there's a, a pond situation. And what I mean by that is, you know, high school athletes have been swimming around in their pond. And maybe they went to a huge high school. But how many people are in a huge high school, right? Like, you know, 5,000. I don't know. Um, I graduated with 32 people in my, my senior class. So I have no concept of a big high school. <laughs> but... It's, it ain't like the state of Mississippi or whatever. Um, so they've been swimming around in the small pond and, and they're like, oh man, I'm one of the 2%. I'm a 2%er. I'm going to go. I'm going to go D1. This is mm -hmm. awesome. And then they get to this big pond. They're used to running the small pond. They're used to being top of the food chain. Mm -hmm. Now they have to, and they've forgotten also what it was like to be in JV or middle school or freshman or whatever, where they were actually working their way up because it typically for people that level has been pretty easy, unfortunately, and they don't have mm -hmm. a ton of experience with failure. So they get in the big pond and they're like, what the, what? I am not top dog. So a couple of things happen. Um, yes, you have to work your way up and freshmen come in knowing that, but they don't understand mm -hmm. how that's going to feel. They're used to being acknowledged a lot, not just for how good they are, how talented they are, how hard they work, but for how much better they are than other right. people. So when they can't look around and, and they get used to judging their um, prowess, their work, their uh, worth, their, um, you know, how good they are based on how much better they are mm -hmm. than other people. And you can't do that now. Um, so, you know, it <laughs> freaks most of them out. Like sure. I thought it was, and it's hard because, um, that motivation had shifted from that little boy or, or girl or, or other that, um, uh, played the game and loved the game to the one that loved the praise and the accolades and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And now they're not getting that. And it's really hard because you've switched to external motivators and internal motivation has just atrophied. Um, and you're not getting the reinforcement. You're not yep. getting the, the reassurance that you are good. So also, <laughs> um, it's just a lot of hard work. 
And, you know, the reward in high school, you work really hard, but you get rewarded very often by starts, by playtime, all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Well, college is twice the work and half the reward. (laughs) Right. If that, if not more. Yeah. Right, right. If you're if you're really lucky to come in and, and get that. But yeah. So that's super, super tough. And um just one other one other part of it that I see really commonly um that causes a lot of difficulty is that the relationship with the coach in high school tends to be a good bit different. It, it is rare that a high school coach would have their entire livelihood dependent on wins, right? So they tend to pay a lot of attention to the individual. They're very, you know, um, there's a sense like, oh, man, this this person really cares about who I am as a person beyond an athlete. And and there um, there's a just a different relationship. Well, when you come to college, nobody talks to them about the fact that that relationship that you had with your high school coach wasn't a professional one. Not that that's negative. Mm. It's just not what it is in, in college because now it's a job. It's a professional relationship. It is a business. Yep. And this person may care about you as a person. Like my boss cares about me as a person, but at the end of the day, I got to get my work done. And if I'm not, he's got to find somebody else and it's nothing personal. Right. They've never been taught to not take things personally. They've never been taught mm-hmm. what a um, boundaried business relationship is and their template is not the same. Yeah. So they, they have a sense of diminished worth because of that. Yep. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, it's something I talked to the athletes I work with a lot. I talk to them about empathy specifically, right? Being able to put themselves in a coach's shoes to say, Hey, well, what does a coach get paid to do? Well, they get paid to win games, Right. Coach has to make choices. He's got 100 players on the football roster, but he can only play 22, right? Like coaches have to make hard choices because if they don't do the right thing for the team, they're going to get fired. And it's not personal because they just have to do what they need to do, right? And so I start talking to them about that at a much younger age to say like, hey, like they're not doing it to you, right? But you need to figure out what you can control and start to use the resources at your disposal to get better. Right. And, and use that self frame of reference versus comparing myself to others, but it's really hard, right? Because they've been conditioned through high school. They're so important and so special. And now you show up and you're just like everybody else. Right. Yeah. So is there anything you do specifically for freshmen in terms of skills training or anything specific, any sort of curriculum that you give them coming in? No, not particularly. I mean, yeah. we, um, we do a lot of identity exploration. Okay. You know, who are you away from your sport? You know, have, do you have a hobby? Have you had a hobby? You know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so a lot of support, a lot of communications training mm-hmm. and like perspective taking. Um, because even if it's not personal, it still hurts, you know. Of course. Uh, so, you know, just kind of working through that. There's some performance stuff, but a lot of times it's not a performance thing. It's an experience thing. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes, too, it's a systems thing, meaning um, they just don't fit in the system, you know. And, uh, you know, a coach, especially now because they recruit so young, they didn't know what the system was going to look like three years from the point that they recruited this kid. And now they're running, you know, a speed offense 
and this person is more of a finesse often, you know, mm, like, right. so that can be, you know, hard and yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Do you like, do you see more, is it more common for one gender over another to, to come and see you? You know, it's not, I, you know, always <laughs> think that that might be at some point, but it just isn't. Uh, it's pretty even across the board. I think, mm-hmm. um, as long as I'm out there meeting the different teams, that's the thing that makes a difference. So if I've hung around women's soccer a lot more than I have, you know, men's, um, basketball, then I'm going to see more women's soccer players cause they know me. Mm-hmm. So that that's been the difference maker over the years. Yeah. Is the amount of time you spend with a particular team driven by a coach's philosophy or your relationship with the coach specifically? Yes. So, and it's so funny how it just changes over time. And, you know, sometimes there's a team that, you know, wants me to travel with them all the time and Mm -hmm. then they get kind of to a different place and, and, uh, you know, I still come in and work with them, but you know, it's, uh, just whatever is needed that year, because every single semester, the team is different. Right. You never have the same team semester to semester, which is because especially now with transfer, transfer and, right. um, you know, attrition of all, all sorts of reasons, you know? Absolutely. So how, how did you get into the field of sports psychology originally? By having a really crappy college experience. Okay, there you go. <laughs> well, no. So I, I did play um, soccer in college and just, you know, looking back. So I played after like, you know, in, in a variety of places and, and ways. And um, I was playing for one team overseas, actually. And, and a sports psychologist came in and was like, I want to do that. Um, I had worked with athletes from a counseling perspective in my graduate program and uh, knew I kind of really liked that population. But when mm-hmm. I saw the performance piece at work, I was like, I'm going to pursue that pretty hardcore. And just, it appeals to me because, um, I was, when I stopped playing college soccer and just started playing soccer, <laughs> I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I played so well, like I just got better and better every year. And I was like, if I had had, you know, <laughs> Well, let's be honest. If I had been where I was supposed to be in college, which was in a therapist's office <laughs> yep. all the time, then I would have, um, you know, just had so much more fun and and been happier as a person. Um, and, you know, that that's kind of the way my journey had to be. But uh, I want to be a resource for anybody who wants a different experience for their college you know, not saying that everybody needs that to have a great college. Right. Uh, I definitely would have benefited, um, but I definitely want to be there for anybody that uh, that thinks it would make it a better experience. Yeah, it's interesting. My my ex wife played college soccer as well, and I think the word that she used quite often was traumatized. Yeah. So she had a really like challenging college experience for coaches and things like that. And so mm-hmm. it's a shame that it has to be that way. Right. But it's just the reality of life. Right. And yeah. it's the same thing when you're recruited, like you said, like 
it's all sort of sunshine and rainbows, right? Like this seems like the best place ever. And then you go there and you show up and you're practicing, you know, 20 hours a week and you have to deal with all the nonsense that might go on politics and relationships and personalities. And it's like, it's not fun anymore. It becomes a job. And oh, by the way, you've got to do another job in the classroom. And oh, by the way, you've got to have a social life and you've got all these demands on your time. And it's like, well, how do I prioritize it? Especially if you're not getting the return athletically, you're going to be like, well, you know what? I'm not going to put in the extra work. I'm going to go have a good time. And it's just more fun that way. But I'm still not satisfied with my performance, right? So it's like this like circle, circle, right? Just running in a circle. Well, and I think that there are, there are plenty of people that, go in and have a great experience right. in um, collegiate sports, even soccer. And, mm-hmm. um, and the ones that I notice have that are the ones that, you know, even whether or not they may be riding the bench, they may be mm-hmm. on the field, but they're enjoying their time. Mm-hmm. They're enjoying the process. They're enjoying their role. They're enjoying mm-hmm. the experience rather than looking right. for, stuff that they can't control like playing time. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so those are the ones too, that are paying attention to what they're doing rather than constantly chasing, um, somebody's approval or somebody's opinion. And when you pay attention to what you are doing, guess what? (laughs) You do it better at it. Exactly. You're doing it right. But, but wouldn't you say like, and and this is my experience, wouldn't you say that it's the vast minority of athletes that are in that bucket of enjoying the process. Cause that's what I see. I see a lot of perfectionism with my athletes. I see a lot of anxiety, performance, anxiety, um, a lot of comparisons Mm -hmm. and not many, and not many of them are enjoying the process. And it is a really difficult thing to unwind. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's a a quote um, from Mia Hamm and it's like somewhere um, behind all the hours of training and all the hard work and all the coaches who pushed you is a little girl that fell in love with the game, play for her. And, you know, we we get into our heads so much about mm-hmm. like, oh, what is he um, seeing or did he see that pass or gosh, there goes my opportunity or, you know, whatever. And And the mistakes become debilitating when really yeah. that's the only way you get better. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it, and, it, and so much of that has to do with the way you're conditioned, you know, growing up when people make you believe it's not okay to make a mistake. Well, how, how are you supposed to react? You can't look yeah. at the mistake as an opportunity to learn. You look at it as there's something wrong with me, right. <laughs> you know, right. it's not, and it's not, it's not healthy because, you know, it's just not sustainable. Right. Um, one of the things I, was, I think about, and I, I think I know the answer to the question, but I'm going to curious to explore because you sort of touched on it, which is, the idea of programmatic fit, right? Kids coming into a program that's a fit for them. And what I see and I've heard from other people is kids are looking for the biggest and best offer, the biggest name, the most recognition, notoriety, because they want to be able to promote themselves, right? Sort of that same idea of look at me like as compared to everybody else. And then you get into a program and it's not what you think it, you know, you, what you imagined it to be, even though you got the biggest possible name you could get because you weren't really looking at all the factors. Do you get involved in recruiting at all or like selection of players? Is there any element like of sort of, 
you know, like they would do in the NFL, like they sort of do like profiling and things like that. Do you get into that? I imagine you don't, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Now, I will say there are times um, that scouts come to me and the players have written in a release. I don't really like it because it's still they're not going to get information from me mm-hmm. except what they need, you know. So right. like the MLB sends a lot of scouts to to do personality measures or, you know, things like that. But um, and I always, you know, just kind of let them know, like the privacy of my clients, even though they've signed this release is still my, my top priority, but I also want to give the information that's going to be helpful and what the, what the athlete wants. Right. So, um, so that's kind of dicey, but um, I do not get involved in recruiting so much as I do meet players um, coming through, but if they're coming through on official visits, that means that typically the, the coaches want them. So not much as I'm going to say is going to change a coach's mind, but, um, but it's, so here's the thing from the time you're a freshman or sophomore in high school to the time you graduate, you are going through some rapid change in terms of identity formation. And especially for high achievers, a lot of times one of these things that, that reduces anxiety is having a plan and knowing what to expect. Like a lot of people are, a lot of athletes are like that. Like that's what they do. They really try to anticipate what's going to happen and, uh, and prepare for it. Right. So once there's a, a, a name in the head, like I'm going to go to Ole Miss, it can be scary to change that because that has lowered so much anxiety, you know, and, and it's like, I know where I'm going. I don't have to worry about it. Whew. But they're just not asking the right questions. Right. They're asking, you know, what is, um, what, what are you ranked? What are you, you know, what's funny is like, I talked about, um, you know, playing college soccer. You didn't ask me where I played, you know, like, and I, and it doesn't matter because at this point in my life, anywhere that I would have played, like my dad, my dad played, um, football at Maryland during a time when people were like, oh, that's badass. But when was the last time somebody called Maryland badass in football, right? So no offense to anybody. They have really, <laughs> no, really, you're on point. <laughs> really cool uniforms. But you know what I'm saying? There was yeah. a time when it was like, oh, they're contenders. Yeah. And um, so in, in 20 years, which seems like a lifetime away, people rarely ask me where I played, you know, it, mm-hmm. because it, it really – it doesn't matter. I don't remember minutes on the field. I don't remember. I remember these really funny stories on the bus. I remember mm-hmm. the preseason that our coach thought was a good idea to go alligator hunting in a swamp for team building. Like, you know, it's, I know it's a, that's a whole other podcast, but <laughs> it's like people are asking the wrong questions. Yeah. You know, questions like, um, what, what do you, uh, let's see. What's the graduation rate? Do, does this university have a um, variety of majors in the general areas that I'm interested in so that if I d- decide to change my ma- major, um, that's not going to be a huge deal? Mm-hmm. What is the team like in terms of, you know, do you have a lot of bonding? Do they have get togethers mm-hmm. like and spaghetti dinners and stuff like that? Like these, these are the important questions. Um, so I, I just, it's frustrating to see kids make 
um, these choices based on things that are going to be so irrelevant, possibly by the time they come in. Right. Yeah. But I, I think, right, some of that has to do with cognitive development, right? Yeah, for sure. Right. Like in terms of, you know, just wanting rewards and not really thinking ahead in terms of what, what are the long-term consequences of this, all those things. But at the same time, I agree. Like it's something I've seen it actually. I had a, a, um, a client who was in high school was signed as a sophomore to go play division one baseball mm -hmm. and he got to college. And when he got to college, he found something very different than what he thought he was going to find. And it was yeah. a very difficult first year for him because of the culture, right? Yeah. And, you know, those are kinds of, those are the kinds of questions that could be really hard for someone to ask, right? Like, yeah. what's the culture? What's the coaching style? What's the feedback mechanism, right? What are the expectations, right? Very hard questions for, certainly for a high school kid to ask, but even a, a family, especially yeah. when there's money attached to an offer and there's prestige and yeah. an education, it's almost like you don't want to ask those questions because you're afraid to hear the answer or, you know, you're going to alienate yourself or lose your offer or whatever it is. Right. But at the end of the day, like you have to live there for four years and now yeah. what do we see happening? People are in the, they're in the transfer portal left and right. Yeah. And it's they're costly. Le they're leaving their schools left and right every, every week we yeah. see something. Yeah. And, you know, I think that most of the time there's a message being sent to make sure that you would want to go to your school, even if you didn't play. Um, but there are other things too, like, I don't know, do they, if you wanted to rush, would they allow for that? Or right. if you, you know, wanted, I don't know. It's, there's a lot more to, cause I mean, what we talked about before with the, the dopamine surges, the reward um, system that gets lit up mm -hmm. as a teenager when somebody gives you an affirmation, right? When somebody, when we believe, which is just a perception, we believe that somebody <laughs> thinks well of you, that seems so vital. But because of brain formation in 10 to 15 years, it's just not as important. And it's more important that you are happy, you know, that, and that comes from within rather than from without. And so it's kind of, um, it's, it's kind of hard because you're making decisions based on a brain that is going to be different in 10 years. Okay. So the other side of that is, yeah, you're right. But yeah. the other side of that too is, right, you've got parents, mm -hmm. right? Now, what I've heard in many conversations is if I'm a coach, I want to deal directly with the athlete. Yes. Right? 100%. 100%, right? And I agree with that, right? The athlete has to take ownership. They need to be motivated. I don't want to hear from mom and dad, but at the same time, like mom and dad need to be a sort of a governor in that process, right? Because it's like, hold on a second here. Like, why are we making this choice? Like, yeah, I want it to be your decision, but how much interaction do you or more generally the athletic coaches and department have with parents at that level, you know, in the SEC? Well, it really depends on the team and the coach. For different coaches. Mm -hmm. I know that every kid, I mean, I have two boys and, you know, I already know one of them's going to the Olympics. Now it'll be 2034 and I'll be going to Brisbane, but um, 
you know, we all think that our kids are so uniquely special and it is impossible for me to look at something happening with my kids with an objective eye. Like that just doesn't, I can't, there's no way. Um, (laughs) And it's, it's weird. My husband and I were talking about like, yeah, we, we had uh, ridiculously good looking babies, but there are times when I look back, I'm like, I don't even remember him looking like that. And it's because you're just filled with oxytocin. You can't see straight. So when, so that's an important mm-hmm. thing because the coach has all these different, um, you know, needs to balance needs of the team to balance. So I found that there's very, very little, um, and when there is, it's usually, you know, a lot of times it's pretty messy, but it does depend on the team and, and, and the coach a lot of times, but, uh, Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I'm always curious about that. Cause I'm, you know, I'm a parent too, and I have my own kids and they play sports and it is very difficult to be objective. And even when you're objective, right. They still don't see it that way. Right. right. Yeah. So, so, you know, having people in your circle that are not your parents or are objective, but supportive is, is critical. But I, I mean, I didn't play sports in college, but I know how hard that transition was right yeah. just in terms of leaving home and showing up and trying to figure out how to live my life on my own and so then you add this other responsibility in which from what i understand and i've heard is that the structure actually probably benefits the student athlete quite a bit because they're told where to be when to be what to do and it sort of keeps them out of trouble whereas i didn't have that response you know i didn't have that that thing but i also didn't have the responsibility of performing um for you when you were an athlete like what was that transition like from high school to college I'm probably not the typical example. So I went, I had, yeah, I just had a crazy journey. Like I went um, to boarding school and then um, kind of <laughs> went from like a super religious boarding school to a town where the drinking age was 18. <laughs> so it was like, you know, um, pretty rough just to go from super, super structured to, for me, it was much less structured and was a lot more freedom. Um, whereas, uh, yeah, I think for a lot of athletes, it's kind of the opposite. You know, um, you go from all this freedom and all this support to a lot of structure, not a lot of support. Where was the drinking age 18? Uh, New Orleans. Yeah, that's how old I am. Where, where did you go? Loyola. Did you? Yeah. My, it's so funny. My ex-wife went to Tulane. Oh yeah. I <laughs> and she played soccer there. And she played soccer there and it was a disaster. <laughs> well, I went there for a week and transferred. So yeah, it's, uh, it's not for everybody for sure. I've heard some pretty <laughs> wild stories. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like for somebody else, Tulane was probably the perfect fit. Well, I think school wise, she loved it. Soccer wise. Yeah. I think it was a different story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, I don't know where you go from there. But <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, yeah. goodness. I think it's, it's really interesting to look at that, though, because um, the more – so parents aren't just there doing the laundry or cooking or whatever because, I mean, you kind of figure that out. But it's more just the – 
it's kind of like hitting home base. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you're in a game of tag, you're running around and you hit home base just every now and then, just so you know, it's close. Yeah. And you can run around. You think you can outrun the person. That's cool. But I'm every now and then just going to touch the home base to make sure. And it's, uh, you don't have that. And it can be really scary, mm-hmm. you know, and the dorms, I don't understand. You can pay me to have a roommate now, but it blows my mind to look at dorm rooms and think I lived in one of those for two years. Uh, now, I, I mean, I had come from boarding school where I had a roommate for six years also, but I don't know, just to be in college, to have somebody that's living in your room that has, because I mean, in boarding school, like we had the same time we woke up, the same time we got from school, same time we got back from work, same time we went to dinner, same time we went to bed. So if, you know, if there's no like, man, I need to go to bed at nine and my roommate likes to stay up till 11 and make out with her boyfriend on the top bunk. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Right. There's none of that. So it's, it is, um, you have to have a lot of uh, conversations that freshmen don't have. I think that's a really difficult thing is, is freshmen don't know how to be assertive. They're either mm-hmm. doormats or aggressive. And right. it's like, okay, how do we talk through what I need? Um, yes. And you go in like, oh, my God, my roommate's so nice. And we listen to the same kind of music. And I can't believe that, you know, I lucked out so much. And that's like, hey, I hate her. I'm going to cut off her hair in her sleep. Like, that's. It goes there pretty quickly because of those conversations that they've never been taught to have. Right. Well, it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about boundaries, right? Not only business boundaries, but just in life, right? Like you're used to living with a family where those boundaries get blurred all the time and you're not used to living with strangers where, you know, there's a way to have a conversation so that it's not personal. It's just, hey, let's figure out how to make this work. And I think that that's just part of the maturation process. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. So like on the back end of it, right, when you're starting to get seniors going out into the world, right, how much are you talking to the student athletes about retirement and this could be the end and my identity and what that means for me in the future? Like how much does that comes up in your practice? A lot. Yeah. A lot because it's, I mean, if they're transitioning to the next level of their sport, whatever it is, I think you know, those are different conversations. Um, and I have already been working with those athletes uh, for a while on this idea of it could end tomorrow, mm-hmm. whether you're drafted or not, you're a sophomore, you could be done tomorrow anyway. So what are you going to do with today? And what's your plan B? I always believe this whole, like, there's no plan B there's, you got to have a plan B right. if you want to, like, I love my job. I'm passionate about my job. I, <laughs> I am not going to, like, I don't see myself voluntarily leaving my job. Um, and yet I have a plan B. Like if something happens, cause it's athletics right. and you know, the world is crazy and um, I couldn't work here. I would be devastated. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. I would be so, it would take me a bit. And then I'd get out of my bed after a week and I'd go execute my plan B. I know right. exactly what it is and how to do it. Um, and I, I think that keeps me um, honest in my game. Like I'm able to go 
play my own game rather than trying to please everybody else mm-hmm. and, uh, right. you know, make decisions based on what's right, whether, uh, rather than what's going to piss somebody off. So, um, so we, we have already been talking about that and, and, and so, you know, the, it's not as scary to put yourself out there. I mean, um, that's all sports is, is putting yourself out there and being vulnerable. Yep. And, and so with, with the other, it is such a, for some of them, they're just ready. They're ready to be done. Right. You know, and some, some that are do really, really well, just done. I've done my, I've done my time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're excited about their career right. and they're ready to get going in that and, and explore other parts of their identity that yeah. they haven't had time yep. um, to do. And so, um, but other times it's a real grief process. Mm-hmm. And, and scary. Like, what am I going to do? So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had somebody on the podcast not too long ago who went through that. He went through depression and attempted suicide because everything was tied up in his performance as an athlete. I thought it was, he thought it was going to go professional and then he was injured and it ended. And he yeah. just could not make peace with that for a number of years until he found something else that he was like immersed in and, was passionate about and he had a purpose every day. But until that point, it was like, why me? You know, and I could see that. Right. Yeah. So, um, he's, um, uh, yeah. So it's, I definitely see that a lot with athletes and the ones who, and even, you know, the ones where they get hurt, they get hurt temporarily. You know, you have yeah. an injury and you're out for a month. Like, it's an existential crisis. It's an existential crisis. So what am I going to do? I can't contribute. Like, this is who I am. And now, like they're going on without me. Yeah. And it's just really, really challenging. And so there's just so much that goes with the process of being an athlete. And I think, you know, one of the things that I'm sure you subscribe to this on a, on a, on a level, we all have our own philosophy of practice, but like, you know, the person's got to come first for me, you know, it's like sure. they're way more than just an athlete. Yeah. And I think sometimes I would imagine, especially in a place like Ole Miss, Sometimes you might feel like a commodity, right? You just feel like a cog in the wheel because it is a business and that's just the yeah. reality of it. Yeah. Um, that's why it takes the, in, the internal work to like insulate yourself because all this other stuff's happening around you no matter what, yeah. <laughs> right? right? And you right. have to take control of the process and you can't let it control you. Exactly. You know, it's so, it's so funny. Um, there's a, a song that I really, really love called Superstar by Cypress Hill. It's so good. And, you know, it, it has this message of like, there's always somebody that coming along mm-hmm. that's going to be better. That's so just, you know, and one of the things he says is, um, you know, it's a fun job, but it's still a job, you know? <laughs> and I think about that so much, like, this is a fun job, but it's still a job. And that means that we have to take care of ourselves. We have to um, make sure, even though I'm having... Um, a blast, for example, traveling on a trip with football. I have to make sure that I am doing the things like going to bed and doing the mindfulness uh, stuff that I do and all those mm-hmm. kind of things because I can get caught up in the fun and it doesn't feel like a drain, like something else that I'm not enjoying would. And, and so I think that that piece of it is important to look at whether you're transitioning into college or transitioning out that you can forget about your needs with all the novel and all the new, Mm. you know, 
I love that. Yeah. And uh, you get a, when you're taking care of your whole person, then you have your whole person to play with. And, and when you put your whole person on the field, just perform better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've never heard it put that way. Um, I think that's a really nice picture to paint for an athlete. They can get that, right? Which is yeah. so much of what we do is being able to communicate and educate in a framework that the athletes that we work with get. Yeah. Because sometimes you can be like up here over their head and they don't get it, right? But that paints a picture of like, hey, if you just bring yourself and all of yourself, you're going to be fine. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. Yeah. You know, yep. like, because what if you put your whole self out there with right. everything you have and it's not good enough? Yeah. That's going to happen sometime, you know? It does. Yeah. Well after, well after college and yeah. adulthood, yeah. it happens all the time for me. So. You know, I did this, I was thinking about this the other day, and this is kind of a stretch of an analogy, but in my mind, it was perfect because of the feelings involved. So... My son, four years old last year, was so excited about Christmas, and he is just so cute, and I would give him the world. So he said, we should decorate my room. And uh, so I was like, do you want to decorate your room? And he's like, no, but I do want to decorate it. And I was like, buddy, I am with you in so many things in life right there. I want it done, but I don't necessarily want to do it. (laughs) So I had gotten off work early one day, and I went. And I went crazy. I decorated his room. I put a little tree in there and I decorated the tree and I put like lights around and everything like that. And I was so excited. And I was like, this is going to be so awesome. It's going to be so great. He came home and he looked at it and he's like, mommy, there's nothing on the ceiling. He was just like, right now he loved it after he, but he had this picture of his, in his mind of how it was going to be. And, you know, and I, my feelings were hurt. Like I was so hurt. And, and so that happens both ways, right? Like yeah. where you, you put your heart and your soul into something and somebody else is like, uh, and the, the mistake I made was that I didn't accept that it wasn't for my son, for, you know, cause it really right. wasn't like I wanted it decorated, right. you know, to have for, for him and all that kind of stuff. But um, but then also we go in with expectations thinking, you know, we want the tinsel on the ceiling and the whole nine, and we miss the amazing treat that has been built for us. Right. Exactly. We're focused on what we don't have exactly. versus being grateful for what we do have. And that's just, yeah. it's a struggle. Yeah. And so maintaining the focus that's going to be um, sustainable. Mm-hmm. Right. When we're going through transitions. Absolutely. So important. So important. All right. So two more questions. Yeah. Um, one is, are there any books that you suggest to your athletes or recommend to your athletes that you think can help them? Yes, absolutely. Did you want the names? I'm just kidding. So, yeah. Yeah, and they are? <laughs> so the one that I end up actually – recommending the most is Daring Greatly by uh, Brene Brown. Yep. It, it's about this um, this idea of putting your whole self out there um, and experiencing the fear and why do we have that fear and how to push through that and why would we want to push through that. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is actually Darren Hardy's Compound Effect. 
which is a short read, very, very practical about um, just building on tiny, tiny differences and having the the belief, the, sh- the sheer confidence that it's going to um, it's going to play out. And uh, the other one, hang on one second. The other one I was looking up there that um, I end up recommending a lot is The Power of Habit because it's it's a fun read. Now there's a lot of ton a ton of fun information in it, um, but I mean good information that's practical. But uh, it, it is a fun read. The Power yeah. of Habit is one of my favorite books, it's probably one of the most influential books I've ever read. I've read Daring Greatly too, and I love Brene Brown stuff. I have yeah. not read The Compound Effect. I'm definitely going to have to check that out, especially if it's a short read. It's a short read and it's super practical. It's like, okay, here's three things you do because of the information in this chapter. So um, so really good for people looking for practical things to incorporate. So the last question is, and I ask this to everybody, if there's one suggestion you could make to a student athlete who's listening, um, particularly high school student athletes are moving up to college, what would it be? Love the game or find what you love. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, because there's so much around. I mean, do you love the game or do you love the notoriety? Do you love mm-hmm. the game or do you love the look on your parents' faces when you score? Do you love mm-hmm. the game or do you love the free ride to college? Which, I mean, don't discount that. If you can do it as a job, it's better. I've done the math with so many athletes, man, about, okay, if you got a job, let's look at what you would be making and what you could, uh, how many hours you could w- work and go to school. And the math just doesn't work out, mm-hmm. you know? So if you, if you can work that job, it's an intense job. Um, it can be better than some other jobs. Um, so there's, you know, no, no issue with that, but know what you're getting into. Um, and if you don't love it, find what you love and go for that. That's good advice. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. It was great talking to you again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate this. It was my pleasure. This was great, and hopefully we can do it again sometime in the future. That would be fun. Thanks, Josie. All right, have a good one. You too. So, what was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Josie Nicholson? For me, it's that the transition from high school to college athletics is really hard. As Josie said, incoming freshman student-athletes have a pond situation, meaning they are no longer a big fish in a small pond. Accessing sports psychology support can really help young athletes lighten their burden and develop tools to perform at their best in athletics and in life. My suggestion to young athletes is to be open-minded and leverage the resources available. It's okay to be okay, but being just okay isn't as good as being great. I want to thank Josie for her kind generosity and the wisdom she shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can follow Josie on Twitter at Rebel Sports Psych. To learn more about the Freshman Foundation, you can schedule a free strategy session on our website at freshmanfoundation.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back in two weeks for episode 31. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. 
For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify. Leave a review. Tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.